hands, corner, behind. Those three magic words can mean only one thing, folks. The bear is back. Oh, yes, the bear is back. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest Empire podcast slash pilot TV podcast crossover event in association with our chums at Disney Plus. And this one is dedicated to the second season of The Bear Christopher Storer's incredible comedy slash drama about the travails of a Chicago restaurant and its attempt to turn into a fine dining establishment and the tangled lives of all of its staff, including hotshot chef Carmi, played, of course, by Jeremy Allen White. Joining me to discuss the upcoming second season are two sous chefs of such lethal cunning who've poured themselves all the way over from the pilot TV podcast part of the kitchen james dyer hello chris hello james dyer how are you i'm good i'm good i'm feeling lightly toasted today lightly toasted a uh, fricasside yeah is that lightly toasted who knows who knows and Kay ribeiro is here as well hello Kay. putting hello, the bear james. in <laughs> putting yeah. the bear in ribeiro I'm glad you noticed that. I am not <laughs> toasted. I'm just very excited to discuss this show. <laughs> You've been playing the long con. You've got the the, the word bear hiding I've in your name. for a while. <laughs> yeah. Spelt differently, of course, but hey-ho, it is what it is. So we're very excited about this show. Uh, I think it's fair to say. The the bear, the first season of The Bear, uh, which we did a show about last year uh, as well. Although, okay, you weren't on that one, so I'm Fascinated to see what you think about the show, but the uh, it was a huge success, became something of a phenomenon. Uh, it even awakened James's taste buds uh, a little bit, as in he went <laughs> up to bit. he went up to medium at Nando's rather than lemon and herb, <laughs> and and garnered much praise from critics and audiences alike, and got a whole ton of Emmy nominations as well into the bargain. So, well done, well done to the bear. And that first season ended with Carmi. Uh, basically closing down his brother Michael's restaurant, the beef, the original beef of Chicago land, and declaring that he was going to remake it and make the restaurant he's always wanted to own. And he was going to call that The Bear. And that's what this, this second season is about. It is about the struggles of uh, Carmi and his team to to come to terms with that and to somehow, somehow create a restaurant uh, worth talking about, especially in an economy where restaurants do not last that long if they don't make a big splash straight out of the gate. Um, so we should say 10 episodes streaming from today, as you can hear this, from July 19th on Disney+, Plus. all 10 episodes dropping at once. And uh, it is an absolutely belting season. We've seen all 10 episodes. Kay, I want to talk to you first about this because James and I talked about this show uh, at length last time around. I don't know what you think about the bear. What do you think about the bear? I love the bear. I love the bear. I love the first season, but I think this one is even better. Um, I think it surpassed the first season. I love everything about it from the music to the writing, the performances, um, which have only just got better. And I just don't understand it because I thought they were stellar to begin with. But I just think they've ramped it up with the new season. Um, as you said, the new restaurant is launching. There is a lot of stress and tension around it. Just when you thought the first season was stressful and tense enough, right? Like literally blood pressure um, increasing. The second season comes and they're under even more intense pressure to open this restaurant, make it success, or basically, I mean, just go bust. Um, so yeah, I just love everything about this. And actually, 
I'm kind of devastated there's only 10 episodes and I, I'm pretty confident this third season coming, but yeah, I just needed more. It was kind of like Moorish food I just couldn't get enough of. So yeah, I'm a big fan. I can't tell you how excited I was for the season and how nervous I was as well. You know, difficult second album syndrome has taken down an awful lot of shows, um, not least because they don't do albums, they do seasons. But <laughs> I, I was slightly nervous about this one. But uh, without without going into it and without going into spoilers, this is an absolute belter. And I thought its focus was slightly different as well. Uh, the first season was very much about loss and about grief and about Carmi coming to terms with his his brother Michael's death and and everything that that entailed and and taking on this restaurant and slightly being begrudging about it and slightly resentful about it but also excited about the opportunity and and molding this incredible cast of characters that he had and uh, and you know a lot of it was food porn uh, and this season goes in a different direction Jimbo I think it's fair to say yes Jeff. Uh, I, I, I know this there's a whole thread through this about the chaos menu and this for me this season is pure chaos menu like it's everything in here is kind of chaotic and haphazard but in the best possible way like it does so many different things the first season which had variety and don't get me wrong i'm not saying it was one note but it was quite focused in what it covered like it was them struggling to keep their heads above water to keep this restaurant from from folding essentially whereas this it feels like every single character is on their own kind of existential journey they're all trying to find out who they are what they want and what makes them tick whether they're going off to culinary school whether it's going abroad to study under will Poulter and learn how to make desserts you know whether it's trying to work out whether cooking is fun like you're one of the best chefs in the world but do you actually enjoy it and is that enough if you don't all of that while also trying to deal with mold and dry rot <laughs> and electricians and plumbers and all the really fun logistical things that are going into opening a restaurant like having dead raccoons in the ceiling <laughs> we've all been there we've all been there Jimbo, I th- I can imagine as well that you really clicked and connected with one of the key plot threads throughout this season. Not to give too much away, don't worry, we're not going to give away any spoilers, but a large part of the season concerns Richie, played by Eben Moss, <laughs> Backrack, uh, and his attempts to get Taylor Swift tickets. I must admit, I found watching this quite triggering, because I was watching this stuff on Friday night after I had failed to get a code to get Taylor Swift tickets, and so every time the it was like it's too soon it's, it's too soon and obviously i was also identifying with richie because he's having an existential crisis because as a man with no skills talents or ability he's not quite <laughs> sure where he fits into the world so yes you know yes yes yeah, i felt seen <laughs> yeah, yeah and yeah he still got tickets and here i am with none that's because he has connections and uh, i would have thought by now that someone would have thrown some taylor swift tickets your way maybe after listening to this because i know taylor maybe. subscribes Clearly, so, clearly she does. If you are listening to this, Taylor, and you want to get James backstage, you know, <laughs> Golden Circle passes, then uh, get in touch. Slide into my DMs. Uh, but yeah, I, I love that uh, that thread. And the last season was really interesting. That uh, you know, we should talk about Carmi, obviously, in Sydney. But uh, Richie is a fascinating character. We talked about it last time uh, in season one how he is this abrasive character who has. You know, he's conversely really, really good with people, but also doesn't have any real social skills. And uh, and because he doesn't have any real faith in himself or any confidence in himself, he often ends up lashing out at people. And he had this really antagonistic relationship with Sydney in particular. Sydney, of course, is the number two, essentially the the head chef of the bear, whereas Carmi is the executive chef who oversees everything and helps design the menus. But on the night when the restaurant opens. Sydney, uh, played by Ayo Edebiri, is 
running things in the kitchen. So she really steps up in this season, shall we say. Uh, but Richie was a fascinating character in that you loved him and then hated him in equal <laughs> measure. And sometimes it would go from scene to scene because he's really, really funny. And Iba Moss Backrack is incredible and deserves his Emmy nomination uh, for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a comedy. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. Is the bear a comedy or is it a drama or is it some weird uh, amalgamation of them both? Uh, but he is great in this. And in this season, he starts off in a very, very interesting place. And I won't give away where he goes to, but it is a real evolution, a real journey for the character. Uh, he starts off at the beginning of the season very low, not sure about his purpose, convinced that he's going to be ditched, that he doesn't have the talent or the drive or the or the passion of the people around him. Um, and so watching that evolve over the course of the show is great. I thought. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But he, he's it, there's a sense that everything's moved. The goalposts have moved and it's moved on without him. Because bear in mind, it was a sandwich bar, right? Like they were all, it was really, relatively straightforward. It's relatively simple. The fact that he didn't come from a culinary background or have any, I don't know, usable skills uh, wasn't really a problem because he knew the neighborhood and he knew the locals and he was front of house. Whereas now, because they're kind of stepping up and that the bear is going to be a slightly more sort of fine dining experience, it's going to be, you know, a, sort of a more, you know, an elevated sort of of eatery and he's feeling left behind i think he's feeling massively insecure and i really like that about him because he's a source of so much of the stress in the first season he's so angry and he has all sorts of issues and family issues and issues with his daughter and all of these sort of insecurities and they really come to a boil if you will excellent uh, food analogy there uh, <laughs> they come to a boil in this season because he doesn't know what he's going to season also a food analogy interestingly <laughs> oh, <God>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> too painful. Stop. Is it too much? Too much. Stop now. This is overseasoned, uh, yeah, if anything. It's overseasoned. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I love him. I love him. Yeah, as you say, very well-deserved nominations because he's, he's fantastic in this. I think Richie, for me, is my MVP this season. And I think for all the reasons you, you've said, but like, I think other than being obviously a show about a restaurant and how you can keep it open or, you know, start a new one, whatever, but it's a lot of it's down to... They're sort of like the trauma from childhood, right? And undoing mm. patterns and stuff like For each of them, we see that as the series goes on. And for him, he's always had this feeling of being the outsider, the one who doesn't belong but has tried to attach himself to that family and stuff like this. And it keeps on coming up in different ways, added to the fact that they're constantly telling him he's useless. He's got no, uh, he's got no purpose in the restaurant. And so consequently, he feels like, I mean, he doesn't feel good about himself anyway, but he yeah. feels like completely surplus to requirement, which truthfully he probably is. That all comes to, like, culminates in that episode where he goes on this sort of journey um, and people invest in him and you just see how much it means to him as he sort of like finds his purpose he starts to take you know pride in his work he gets a sense of self-respect and self-worth and it's just so beautiful to see actually that's all tied into like how people treat him and how he sees himself um, mm. Also, that episode, I have to say, I don't know if I got very emotional. <laughs> it's probably the most emotional I felt throughout the whole 10 episodes was that episode seven. But I thought it's also like really beautiful to see how restaurants and their food and staff can make people feel. Specifically, people who like um, it's set in this quite fancy restaurant and people who have saved up to come for this experience and everything. And actually the way that they're treated and how it makes them feel when that that sort of like um loyalty to the restaurant is repaid um and for free 
it's when you can see mm. what 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 it means to people, mm. and uh, and and the impact that has on you as well. And you get a sense of that here with Richie for sure. Uh, Kay, I want to I want to ask you again because we talked about food last time on the on the last bear show that we did. Uh, James, of course, is a food troglodyte, and true. Uh, as uh, I don't believe, have you ever been to a, a Mission Star restaurant, Jimbo? No, no judgment, I, I, of course. I, you say Michelin, I think tires. Yes, well, that's, that's exactly that's where it comes from. I know it is. Oh, there you go. But, so, uh, but I don't just... quite understand how they branched out from tires to food, but you know, <laughs> you just think, just give me a nice, well-seasoned tire, and I'll be happy. What do you think? Do you think that's what it was? That like they were driving somewhere and they were hungry, and they stopped off somewhere, probably at Nando's, really enjoyed it, and said, "Here, have a tire." And they were like, "Oh, it's Michelin." I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. And you'd think that because you know, they don't know what Michelin inspectors look like, but surely it's the guy who looks like the Michelin yeah. man. Is his, his name Bibendum or Bundibus or it begins with a B? Yeah, he's just this giant guy made of white tires in the corner eating food. I mean, that's that's <laughs> yeah. your guy. That's your Michelin man. What, what's going on? Anyway, I K, mean, you'd know. You'd spot him a mile off. You would spot him a mile off or, or 10 miles off because he's driving cars. Anyway, Kay, are you a foodie? Do you know what? I am in that I like to eat food and particularly food that I haven't cooked. <laughs> That's not what, what a foodie is. I like to eat I, food. <laughs> I, I appreciate good food. That is what foodie is. Someone who appreciates okay. good food. And well, I like yeah. eating. And that's a side note. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. What's the best meal you've ever had? Um, the fanciest meal is um, I recently went on a press trip trip to Greece and I was taken to a Michelin star restaurant. Um, and honestly, I'm going to be, it was beautiful. The whole experience was wasted on me just because I could have eaten some traditional Greek food in a taverna and been perfectly happy. But it was like a 12 uh, course taster menu. So each little dish and it was beautiful, like presented. Everything looked like art. And um, each um, each course came with a different kind of wine, which anyone who knows me, I'm a lightweight as well. So, I mean, this whole thing came together into me uh, being a blur, a blur of. But I had loads of different fancy foods. And yes. I was full flight. at the end, and, yes. yeah, and a lot of wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's the thing with this show, isn't it? Like that the the artistry that goes into the food and the specificity and the textures of it, and that uh, and this show has a thing about extreme close ups. Like even the character work, the very very tight camera work. You can see every pore in their faces, every crease in their eyes, which I think gets you into the characters' heads as they're talking. But it also works with the food. These extreme close ups of these beautiful creations as they kind of with a pair of tweezers stick an arm into some kind of mousse mm. and even though i'm not massively into food like even i'm like that looks kind of cool right but it's also it's also really tense as well like you're willing the chef in question to really guide that almond into that mousse and every time <laughs> they mess it up you're like oh come on man you can come do on it. chef you can do it come on get yourself together chef pull yourself together stop those hands shaking you go full greg wallace and master chef stop your hands shaking can't, you can't help it greg it's, it's it's my nerves what can i do honestly leave me alone uh yeah i i love all that stuff although i will say you know i, I do, I do want to continue this, this conversation about food in a second but i will say that one of the things i thought was interesting about this season is that I think Christopher Storer and his team have deliberately changed the focus, the emotional focus of the show a little bit. There was a lot of talk about season one about how intense it was and how much like uncut gems it was and how frenetic it was and the pace didn't let up for a second. It was quick cut after quick cut after quick cut. And that only really happens here a couple of times. There's an extraordinary episode halfway through the season which is twice the length of a normal episode of The Bear. Normal episodes of The Bear come in around about half an hour. This one comes in 
66 minutes and it is incredible, but it is intense and you feel like you've run a marathon at the end of it. And then there's a, uh, there's an episode towards the end of the season uh, in which things come to a head in terms of the restaurant and the culmination of the restaurant. And, and for a while, it feels like that's going to be this season's equivalent of that extraordinary episode, the single take episode from last season. But then it changes and switches gears a little bit. But apart from that, the emphasis here from Storer and his team is a little bit more on joy in a weird way. There's still conflict. There's lots of conflict. Carmi in particular is someone who is always on the cusp, you feel, of losing focus, perhaps. And he's he's got a number of distractions this season and not just a restaurant. Um, you know, there's there's always little little mountains of conflict opening up, you know, between maybe Carmi and Sydney or Sydney and Marcus, who's the, the amazing pastry chef that they have, or, you know, Richie and, and pretty much anybody that you <laughs> care to throw into a room <laughs> with Richie, he'll find conflict points. But by and large, this focuses on being able to heal from wounds inflicted by past trauma and move on and to get joy from moments. There's a, there's a, there's a moment in the first episode uh, in which one of the characters is offered a, an unexpected promotion and the camera just lingers on this character's face as they just beam with pride and it's it's a good 30 seconds that close up and it is absolutely wonderful and you get mm. that all the way through the season that characters get these little moments of of triumph and they get to feel good about themselves and it's all linked to their growth as people and their growth as chefs and their growth as whatever the heck Richie is. You know, it's all linked to their relationship with food and their relationship with, with, with the bear as well. And I think that sort of more human approach is really interesting. And I think, it's, you know, this joy comes from um, we've really invested in these characters. And the brilliance of the writing is that we care about these supporting characters like Tina and Marcus as much as we care about Kami and um, Sydney. So um, the fact that they're all going on these little journeys and um, ha and having triumphant moments as well as, you know, there's emotional intensity is just a nice thing to see. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think also it's, it's helpful that where season one, it was very much who they are in relation to the beef. It was all about how they revolved around that and then this spectre of Mikey's death. Whereas this, it feels like they've all been given kind of external lives, whether that be personal lives, it be Richie's family stuff, you know, where they're going off and studying somewhere else. With Kami, it's an introduction of, of Molly Gordon's character, Claire, who's someone he grew up with, who is a sort of a very different energy to the energy he gets from the people in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it's seeing them kind of grow outside that environment I found fascinating because we're now starting to see them as characters in their own right, as opposed to just how they interact with each other, um, which is which is lovely. Yeah, and those relationships are deepening all the time. There's there's a lot more going on with Carmi and Sydney, uh, which is which is fascinating. Uh, you know, she is effectively a partner in this restaurant, and you know she keeps running into people and and who say you got to have a partner you can trust. You got to have a partner you can trust, and she idolizes Carmi. He is literally one of the world's best chefs. Uh, you know, he can do anything with a knife and a palate and a and a pan. Uh, but she also has reason to to wonder about him and to worry about him. And you know, is he losing focus? And all of these things really, really come together. But at the same time, it is about overcoming and it is about healing. And I, and I really love that aspect of things. Do you know what? I've, listen, I've got some beef and I pun intended. The beef. Huh? Yeah, I've got some big beef. Now, I love Kami. Cut me. I bleed Kami. I love that character. <laughs> but 
the way that he treats Sydney is not okay. And we see even more, and like it's not intentional. That's the thing. It's just like she is so like far down in his list of priorities. He cares about the restaurant. He cares about her, but he's so distracted and he's got so much on his mind that often he doesn't give her the respect and the time that she deserves. And it's so hard to see because she really struggles with it. And she's like, She's investing as much as he is in this. And from the beginning, we kind of get the, you know, like she's reading this motivational book. We understand that she needs to be able to trust Kami. And the point of it is, is that he often lets her down. And it's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So justice for um, Sydney is what I'm saying. Justice for Sydney. Yeah, I yeah. love her. I think she's uh, she's absolutely incredible. And another thing about this show, the, the second season, the sort of the confidence that Christopher Storer, who doesn't write all the episodes but you know clearly as a creator and, and the showrunner uh, but he directs a lot of them and you know the, the the visual look of the show is is wonderful but there's real confidence here in the way that he actually is very happy to let Carmi not always be the focus which mm. is really interesting given how much people were talking about Jeremy Allen White after the first season and don't get me wrong Carmi is absolutely the the lead of the show he is still the main character of the show but there are virtually entire episodes where he doesn't mm. really appear uh, and and the focus is shifted on to those ancillary characters, as Richie might have it, uh, the supporting characters. You know, there's an entire episode that pretty much focuses on on Marcus. Uh, I'm not going to yeah. say which one it is. And there's an episode that focuses almost entirely on Sydney and her journey through Chicago's you know food destinations, you know, and trying to recruit some new people to come and work at the Bear. Um, but also, she talks to chefs, and she's very very plugged into how the food scene has has essentially shrunk over the last few years because of of covid and because of just the way that you know the hospitality industry has been hit by and large uh you, you could see it an awful lot the the hospitality industry in this country has really struggled to find people to work uh waiters chefs all, every aspect every area of the kitchen people have you know the the numbers are, are massively down restaurants close the margins the profit margins of a restaurant are very very small um as michael clayton's brother found out in tony gilroy's 2007 masterpiece <laughs> michael, michael clayton of course um but there's there's so much there's so much danger inherent in opening a restaurant and there's a really great episode where Sydney has her eyes open to that. Like she takes this tour of incredible eateries and incredible restaurants and she talks to all these chefs, uh, including um, one who is a real uh, Chicago food legend, a guy called Donny Medea. And uh, and there is, again, not to give too much away, but there is a an appearance later on in the season from one of the world's best restaurants. Uh, Curtis Duffy's ever, which effectively plays itself in this in this, and you get to see what high level, high end, fine dining is like at the three star level, and it is incredible. Everything, nothing is left to chance. Everything is meticulously planned for and prepared for. It is extraordinary. I have a question. Do you think that restaurants actually do research the people yes. coming to? No, really? Yep. I thought it's I don't know, it seems like a lot of effort to go to. <laughs> I know for I know for a fact they do. Um because my wife and I have had several experiences where we've gone to um Michelin star restaurants and they have looked at our social medias beforehand to get an idea of, of who we are and what we like and then tailored the experience accordingly. Um, oh wow. Or or invited us in to have a, a meeting with the chef afterwards or to take a tour of the kitchen afterwards because of of things like that because you know we're in, 
Wow, in fairness, amazing. that did happen last time I went to Chiquito. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's fairly widespread. Weird. Me too in Nando's. <laughs> Honestly, though, I have been to, I've been to so many KFCs uh, around the world, and I have yet to meet the colonel. Uh, I was about I, to say, he didn't come over to your table and just ask if you were enjoying your meal. No, I'm, dis- I'm disgusted. I want him to bring me back, bring me back <laughs> to the kitchen, you know, hand in hand, we will leap. We will daintily jump through the kitchen together, and then he'll look me in the eyes and tell me the secret of his 11 herbs and spices. That's what I want him to do. Give you the reason why it's finger-licking good. Oh, absolutely, Kay. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Indeed. I didn't Uh, know you were so fancy, uh, Chris Hewitt, with your fancy fine dining. Well, uh, as I said in the last show, uh, now we we have a little one. Uh, This is no longer the case, but um, uh, we didn't go on holidays, really. We saved up and went to Mission Star restaurants that we really wanted to go to every year. But uh, but ever, the one in Chicago is is my wife's holy grail. That is the one that oh, she wow. would really want to go to. There's, there's a restaurant in Wales called Inishir, which I would love, love, love to go to. It's a two Mission Star restaurant. But for, for my wife, Fala, it is Ever, which is Curtis Duffy's restaurant. And uh, there's a great documentary about Curtis Duffy and the previous restaurant he had, which, which was called Grace, and the, the the documentary was called For Grace. In that, you see es- essentially what happens in in this show. There's a there's a bit where you know the, the the staff are meeting beforehand and they talk about who's coming in and we've got this dignitary coming in and we've got this dignitary coming in. They're going to be at this table. And by the way, we've looked up at their social media and we know that they love this kind of thing. So let's make sure we give them that and we lavish that attention on them. And it's a three mission star place. And so you know you know what? It's not going to be the same price as a Singer Tower Burger from the Colonel's Finest, but <laughs> Um, but they're they're roughly the same uh, impact once you eat them. But I would, honestly, <laughs> uh, she would love to go. So uh, Curtis Duffy, I know, listens to this podcast uh, along with Taylor Swift. They're probably listening together right now. So uh, if you can sort Taylor Swift tickets in Chicago, and then we'll go to Ever um, afterwards for a post-concert bite to eat. That would be lovely. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. That's definitely but, happening. Yeah, we were talking earlier on though about about food, and you know I've got so many great memories allied to food. And Kay, I've asked you for your your favorite meal of all time, Jimbo. What was yours, and did you have peri peri chips with it? I I don't have an answer to this question. My favorite food is ice cream, so I feel like our uh, <laughs> <You're basically laughs> our memorable an, dining experiences will be slightly different. <laughs> you're basically an adult toddler. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. It is fair. It's it probably would have been some elaborate cone where I sort of. Do you know what? Do you know what? Here's an ab- this is an absolute true story. Uh, do you know the Cold Stone Creamery in the US? Yes. Uh, where they make yeah, it's like, it's not particularly high end ice cream thing, but they they blend it all on the on the counter. And they do a thing with mint chocolate chip and brownie, and they mash it all together, and right. that was incredible. And they've opened a UK branch of it, and I have to tell you, it's not the same. <laughs> oh no! They get the brownies. The brownies like a like a square centimeter, whereas in the US it's like this huge slab of brownie. I was like, no, no, once done, <laughs> ruined it for me. That's amazing. The thing is, I contain multitudes, right? So, you know, I, I, I have appreciated uh, some incredible Mission Star uh, meals. And uh, there's a really interesting thread in this season where, you know, Sydney is right from the off. She's like, oh, my goal with the bear is to get a star, you know, right away. Because that's, yeah. that's kind of how you get noticed. And um, believe me, that's going to heap a lot of pressure on them um, as, as time goes on. But... You know, I can appreciate a nice Mission Star meal, but I can also appreciate uh, an In-N-Out burger or, you know, again, as I said, the Colonel's Finest or a, or a nice Nando's. <laughs> I contain multitudes, multitudes of food. 
You don't discriminate. I do not discriminate. Uh, whereas Jimbo is always a bit wary of that stuff. He's a bit wary. And perhaps a good reason, because the one time I persuaded him to actually go to a, a restaurant to, uh, that, that had uh, fine dining ambitions. Um, I won't name the restaurant, but let's just say that it didn't go well for any of us. And we spent <laughs> two or three days afterwards <laughs> suffering from pretty bad food poisoning. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. dear. He's never, ever again. Nando's no. never did that to me. We are never, ever getting back together without no, restaurants. we're not. No, we got bad blood not. with that. No. <laughs> we, certainly, <laughs> we certainly do. We certainly do. Um, but let's talk about confidence again. Let's talk about the confidence of a second season. So you, your first season comes out. It's widely acclaimed. People falling over themselves to, to anoint your show as the next big thing. Uh, and you can kind of tell that. I mean, not just in the confidence that Christopher Storer has with the different character arcs and visually and all the risks he takes. I mean, dropping in, as I say, a, a longer episode halfway through the season. But he does little stylistic things like not every episode will have the credits at the end of the show. Sometimes they'll be at the beginning of the show, uh, you know, and there's lots of little stylistic montages that happen out of nowhere, which which I love. But one of the ways you can really tell that the bear hit big was that this season has a pretty high proportion of excellent cameos. Uh, we're, you know, I think we can throw some of the names out there. We're not going to say exactly where you're going to see them or which guys you will see them, but should we throw some names out there? Will Poulter is one that, that James has already said. Sarah Paulson. Her name was Sarah Paulson. <laughs> yes, Sarah Paulson. Uh, who else? Olivia Coleman. Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, it's Bob. got more more A-listers than you can shake a stick at. Yes, absolutely. And then you can shake a spatula at, um, or or whatever the, the, the stick that the you know, the thing that they use to stir stuff with. Uh, Bob Odenkirk, uh, John Mulaney, uh, Gillian Jacobs. Uh, you've got all kinds of amazing people in this, uh, just queuing up around the block. And they all come together in one episode we won't spoil it because it honestly it's so spectacular to see and i have to say it's it's one of my favorite episodes of the whole series and i think for me it's on a par with theater and i kind of like wish that the bear was entered in the drama category at the emmys um and i know why probably it wasn't i get it i get why people say it isn't it isn't a comedy um and it probably should be in the dramatic categories at the at the emmys but my word this thing's funny when it when it takes off, it is hilarious. There's a there's an exchange between um, there's an exchange between Richie and Fack, who is <laughs> um, who's played by Matty Matheson uh, in in one of the early episodes. That is as hilarious as anything I've seen in the sitcom uh, for many many years. It's just incredible. These two guys going at it and the 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 sort of specificity of the language, the Chicago talk, the lingo. It's it's so incredible. It's so funny. For me, it's it's you know like one of those Venn diagrams. Comedy on one circle, drama in another circle, and the bear is slap bang in the middle. More so this season as well, I would say. Much more so than the first season. The first season definitely had its laughs, definitely had its moments. Maybe I wasn't laughing because I was so unbelievably stressed all the way through it that I couldn't <laughs> find the humour. Uh, and this one, because it takes a step back from the sort of almost like customer-facing stuff for a lot of the, of the season. It's more sort of like you know behind-the-scenes drama. You're able to kind of enjoy those characters and enjoy the comedic moments. But I, I think Richie's dynamic that he has with Fack is absolute gold, and it's amazing any time they're on screen together. And the sort of the... the 
the sort of three-way dialogue they have with Sugar as well <laughs> is glorious, absolutely glorious. And you're right, it is very, very funny. I still say it's not a comedy. I understand why they entered it as a comedy. I think it was more tactical than anything else. Uh, and it is very, very funny. But I think it's it's a drama that is is beautifully comedic. Because I, I mean, I, you heard me talk about this many many times i'm not a big fan of comedy for comedy's sake like straight up heightened comedy i think the best comedy comes out of its juxtaposition with drama and i think this show is a brilliant example of that yeah the way the comedy can uh, erupt from the most tense and fraught situations and vice versa and this yeah. show absolutely nails that uh there's a couple of things i want to talk about uh, before we wrap this up uh, one is sydney i don't think we've talked enough about sydney and she's uh, an amazing character yeah, and I, what I really love is this season we really explore her background um, and why this means so much to her. We see the family element, you know, the support unit. Um, her dad particularly plays a part. Um, and we get to understand why, yeah, why this is really important for her to, to succeed. Um, and you get to understand some of, the, of her pain. But, yeah, for me, this is all about, you know, her trying to... Um, do what's best for her, but without getting really the full support of Kami. Um, mm. And consequently, you you do champion her. You want her to succeed. You want her to get her stars. Uh, whether that's going to happen, we cannot say. And yeah, I think she's great. I think I think kind of came to a head in the last season. It's that it's. I mean, it's the episode that everyone talks about, isn't it? Uh, the review, which is the one with that sort of what's the eighteen minute one or in it, uh, where it all just implodes in the most stressful episode of that first season, and she's just had enough. And just when she just goes up to Kami and basically says how much she respects him, but also what she thinks of him, uh, which I think was perfect. And I really enjoyed the exchanges they have when he kind of, he, he you know he he doesn't try to get her back. I think he respects her too much to try and he apologizes but without any expectation of her coming back and it's it's perfect the way she does rejoin it at the end of that final episode i think that's great as well but yeah i loved her coming into owning this i thought her relationship with marcus was really nice and sort of helped fill out that character a lot uh she's great but yeah i think hey is absolutely right she gets the short end of a stick and i think it's not out of any kind of um you know malicious intent but kami is kami and he's very much in his own kami head and she has to deal with the fallout as let's be honest oftentimes the only adult in the room <laughs> She really is. I loved in season one when she just stabs Richie in, a, in, that, in that episode. <laughs> His reaction to that was, and now I've been stabbed. <laughs> it's yeah. It's just like, it's yeah. fantastic. And it leaves just enough room for doubt. Did she deliberately stab him or was it accidental? And also, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Who could have blamed her? We do not condone stabbing on the Empire Slash Pilot TV podcast. Maybe we do in the Pilot TV podcast. I don't know how you guys work over <laughs> yeah, we're, there. We're, we're that, stabbier. That we're definitely stabbier. We're biting. A lot stabbier. Bitier and stabbier. Uh, whereas the Empire podcast, we're, we're pacifists. What can I say? Uh, yeah, I think she's absolutely terrific as a character. And yeah, yeah, Sugar gets a lot more to do this season as well. But it is, it does feel very much like the show is largely focusing on Carmi, obviously, and Richie and Sydney as well. I want to talk about the music. Can we talk about the music of this show? Because I think, I think, I think I'm being incepted by and large by Christopher Storer. Uh, I think he and I would be best pals and i think after we go see tay tay in concert in chicago and then go Don't. to ever uh we <laughs> should james you're, you're invited you can be my plus one and Fine. uh but then you'll have to eat a three star michelin meal. I'll, I'll put up with your ever meal if i can if i can see tay tay in concert you'll put up with your ever meal <laughs> he'll struggle on three he's a brave soldier like that yeah, chris yeah. you are an I'll, I'll take absolute, one for the team <laughs> you are a disgrace of a human being <laughs> You were a one star of a human being, <laughs> if that, if that. Uh, but yeah, 
there's the, the music in this is so great and so much of it is my favorite music uh like there's a there's a, a, a there's a couple of rem songs rem's my favorite band and there's a couple of rem songs that in this in the show but one in particular that just gets played over and over again is strange currencies uh and there's there's some Neil Finn, Crowded House in there. There's some Pearl Jam and Eddie Fedder. There's a there's a Neil Finn song that actually has Eddie Fedder on guest vocals. You know, there's some great live versions in there. There's some uh, David Byrne talking heads. It's just a tremendous thing. Jimbo, you must have loved every second of it. Uh, I like some of it. I, I love a bit of Eddie Vedder as much as the next person. I, I like R.E.M. as well. Uh, I don't think it's quite nails into my DNA because clearly they've done exactly what you said those restaurants do and they've checked your social media ahead of time to tailor <laughs> the experience of the bear specifically to you and that's worked very, very well. So you have completely um, different music. Is that how it works? Exactly, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> For me, it was Taylor Swift wall-to-wall. Like, that was it. It was brilliant. Folklore, Evermore, all of it. Speak now. It was amazing. Imagine if they could do that. Imagine if I watched <laughs> The Bear and instead Richie was trying to get REM tickets. <laughs> That's it, yeah. But this is Thank the future, isn't it? This I is the future of AI-created television. Yeah. Kay, who would you be? The algorithm. Who's, who's Richie trying to get in, in your version of The Bear? I quite fancy seeing Harry Styles, but that's, I mean, Harry that's Styles. I would, Harry I've, Styles. I would like to see him again performing, just because he's a good performer. Oh, I'm sure. Just that's for, that reason, yeah, for that reason. Just for that reason. But talking about the, the songs, as soon as this is how good it was, I was like instantly just wanted to download. And I'm happy to say the whole playlist is there on Spotify um, because Ooh. some great tracks. Yeah, it instantly downloaded it all. Otis Redding. Brilliant oh, tracks, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, yes. get on it, Chris. Get on it. Including, I have to say, there was a there's a version of Strange Currencies that I think was a live version that had, that I hadn't heard before, and there's a song, there's a Neil Finn solo song um, called Anytime, which plays at one point, and again, that was a version I wasn't familiar with. So I think that was actually from the album uh, One All, the Neil Finn album One All. Uh, there's there's two different versions of it. One's called One Nil, one's called One All. And one's got slightly different remixes. And uh, so there you go. Anyway, that's a that's a very boring thing I've just said, but I wanted to say it. So there we are. Um anyway, one last thing. I bored myself. I bored myself. I mean, James bit. actively started yawning. I was like, which <laughs> is fair, harsh. I'm so tired. It has nothing to do with Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, yawned myself halfway through that. Um there was one last thing I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about the fact that this isn't, uh, as we said earlier on, the food porn of the first season. There's a little bit of that, of course there is. And we get to see, you know, Sydney and and Carmi effectively turn his apartment into a development kitchen, and they start working on dishes together. But a lot of those dishes don't end well, you know. Um, instead, it's about coming together as a team and getting through the turmoil of trying to open a business in a ridiculously short space of time, and not just any business, but a business that has to be from day one high end. And I, you know, I have no experience of building my own business. I, I don't know if you guys do, you know. James obviously no, has I've, his own I've opened many, many restaurants, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and closed them again immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, I thought that was a really, really interesting deviation from the first season. Yeah, and they also take you on this journey, right? Because each episode does a sort of countdown to the opening day, which I think is really good. So the tension is slowly, slowly building. Um, and you realise how close to the line it is because, you know, as with anything, it, everything tends to go wrong and they don't realise how much it's going to take to go into it. And also the money factor as well, because they've got a you know finite amount of money. So, yeah. 
No, I agree. I think it was, I, but it's it's an interesting change of premise, isn't it? Because instead of them preparing food, they're workshopping food, and I like that idea that they're having crazy ideas and getting up in the middle of the night and throwing things together, uh, which is basically me cooking in a nutshell. Just what's in the cupboard? <laughs> Baked beans, hula hoops, whatever you want. Chicken and balls, eat it. Brilliant. Uh, but I love that they're doing that and they're freestyling, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it's absolutely disgusting. And that's you know, it's yeah, I found that that aspect of it actually quite fascinating. Yeah, we talked about it on the last one to an extent about, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why I'm fascinated with things like this and I'm fascinated with, with chefs, even though I can't cook worth a damn, you know, and I'm fascinated by cooking shows, you know, some of my favourite shows are cooking shows um, because I love to see genius at work and I love to see people who can, uh, you know, if you show This me, is why you subscribe to the Pilot TV podcast, isn't it? I, of course, <laughs> of course, yes. Um, and, you know, if you showed me 10 ingredients... I couldn't tell you what to do with them, right? You know, I couldn't, I could say that paprika is probably a bit spicy, but, you know, if you gave me some chicken, I could give you some very, very bland chicken eventually. But there are people who just see the world in a different way and they just go, right, okay, that'll go with that. That works with that. I'll use that in, that in the right amount and it's going to absolutely blow your socks off. And those people to me are just, I, they're wizards. I don't know how they work. I don't know. I, I'm just in awe of them, completely in awe of them. Uh, and the way they know tastes will complement each other. I mean, we know the answer to this, right? They all have tiny rats uh, living under their hats. Rats. Who are pulling at their hair and <laughs> helping them to make the food, right? They, they all have that. I saw a documentary about it. It was called Ratatouille. Didn't you, oh, didn't you see the same documentary? <laughs> How did you take so long to get onto that, Kay? Honestly. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Kay, honestly, what were you doing? <laughs> it, it was right there, talking rats. I know, no, I haven't seen Ratatouille. I know it's my bad. I've, listen, now that I've completed the bear, I've got a bit of time on my hands, so I'll watch Ratatouille next. All right. Okay. As long as you promise me it's exactly like the bear. It's exactly huh. like the bear. In fact, fact, you know, uh, well, as you know, one of the biggest cameos in this show, I mean, we talked about some of the big cameos, but we didn't reveal the fact that at the end of episode seven, uh, Carmi takes off his hair, his incredible hair, <laughs> to reveal that underneath is a rat. And it's incredible hair. It's inc it is incredible hair. Now I've got a mm -hmm. question about this hair. How does he how does he keep it up so perfectly when the curls are like? Is he wearing a headband? What's going on? I thought you guys would have the answer to this as I was I, watching, I admi admiring his I thick don't hair. Know. It's the best head of hair. I mean, yeah, you know, John Bernthal's really got is. good hair, but yeah, it's artfully tussled. Mm. And I it just is. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, it's as a man with like no hair. He, oh yeah, R.I.P. <laughs> so the hair, but um, <laughs> to the follicles. But all yeah. of them have great hair to me. So. No, he, deserves, he deserves his own award for the hair, I think. He does. He does. And on that hair-raising note, I think that is it for this uh, very, very special collaboration, collab, uh, Empire X Pilot TV podcast. That's what the kids say these days, isn't it? Uh, it is. Empire featuring Pilot or Pilot featuring Empire, whichever way you want to take it, of course, uh, in association with Disney+. Plus, I should tell you, of course, that all 10 episodes of The Bears Season 2 are on Disney+, Plus for you to stream right now. And if you're anything like me, you will binge them one after the other. I don't usually binge. I don't usually binge, apart from food. But I watched all of these episodes. I, once I started, it was like a can of Pringles. I just could mm. not stop. Uh, Pringles, also very high-end, by the way. Uh, and uh, I finished the final episode last night at 2.30 a.m. Wow, that is coming. I was the same. I don't like to binge either, but it's impossible to watch just one episode, I think. Yeah, because the stakes are too high, which is a problem for a restaurant. <laughs> stakes, stakes should be just right. <laughs> stakes should be just right. 
Okay. Is that how you like them, James? Whatever it's about. They say, how do you like your steak? And I go, just, just right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Goldilocks zone. Goldilocks zone. Grabbing the waiter by the lapels. Look, tell a little rat next in the kitchen next door, I want my steak just right. Okay. Is that medium? Absolutely. Is that rare? Just right. We're definitely okay. going to get invited to Michelin style restaurants now. I think so. Me, you, James, Curtis Duffy, the Colonel, Taylor Swift. We're going to be at Ever. Woo-hoo! <laughs> and the best branch of KFC in Chicago, that is going to be our food journey. And I, for one, cannot wait. Uh, anyway, that is definitely it for this Empire podcast uh, slash Pilot TV podcast collaboration. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. All that remains now is for me to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Oh, sorry. Two co-pilots of such lethal cunning. <laughs> Kay Ribeiro. Goodbye. James Dyer. Bye, Jeff. Bye, Jeff. <laughs> Ah, yes, indeed. Now it's goodbye from me. I'm off to listen to R.E.M. and gorge myself once again on the Colonel's Finest. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Pilot out.